You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Welcome to episode 35. This is the second of a two-part series on yoga class planning. Last week, I discussed the different parts of a class plan. I talked about how to decide which parts to include in your plan because there's a lot of different options. Some class planning archetypes or different ways that different people tend to approach class planning. And how to approach planning some different kinds of classes like longer classes, shorter classes, workshops, and retreats. If you haven't listened to episode 34, then some of the things I say in this episode might not make sense, and I think that you will get more out of this episode if you've listened to the prior one first. Today, I'm going to cover how frequently to change up your plan, some ways to structure your plans, and how to create a system to make it really easy to reuse your plans over and over. Based on a request from the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group, I'm also going to discuss how to adapt your plans for different class populations. A member of the group named Michelle responded to the post from last week's episode with the following request. Michelle said, could you please touch on how to create consistency and planning efficiencies between different class types? I'm only into my second year of teaching and still in the phase of trying out as much as possible. I teach beginners, open level classes, chair yoga, teenagers, and the odd private. I feel a bit like I'm running separate processes for each stream. It's very gradually coming together, but it still takes a lot of time, and I find it hard to switch in my head over when I teach different classes back to back, as the common thread is still very hazy. Thank you so much for that request, Michelle. I really appreciate it. I love having dialogue with my listeners. It helps me to know what to focus on. And for any listeners out there who aren't yet a member of the Facebook group, it's really easy to join. You just go to teachingyoga.net slash join, and there'll be a, a link to join the Facebook group from there. Before I get to Michelle's request, we're going to back up a little bit and talk more about the structure and the rhythm of creating yoga class plans. One question is to ask yourself is how often do you want to switch up your plan? And there's a lot of ways to do this. In general, I do recommend that you stay with a theme or a class plan longer than just one class, especially the newer you are to teaching. The most common rhythm for creating new class plans is weekly. Most yoga teachers teach multiple classes per week, and a lot of them like to stick with one focus and one basic plan that they adapt for different classes throughout the week. If you only teach one class per week, though, then you don't have a lot of time to get good at that particular plan. And you might stick with a class plan for more like a month. Or same thing if you choose a theme that is more complicated. So what you can do is you can have a basic theme that you then add on to and layer complexity into over the course of a month or more than one month, two months, three months, a semester, a year. Some people choose a theme for the whole year. On the flip side, some people teach 
a style of yoga with a set sequence. And whether that is because you're required to from the studio that you teach at, or whether it's just the style that you're drawn to, if you have, if you don't have to plan out your sequence every time, then you might change your theme each time. And that really, it's kind of a cool way of doing things. It's not the way that I do things, but I can see some real benefit to doing it that way because you don't have to think about the sequence. And so, I mean, it's in you, it's in your body. And so you can really feel into the theme and be very spontaneous with your theme, organic with your theme, authentic with where you are in the moment. So if you find yourself in a rhythm where you're really getting caught up in your sequence, you can do a modified version of this by creating one or maybe four sequences that you memorize and cycle through. And then you don't have to put a ton of time into planning your sequence. And you can put more attention on the other elements of your class plan. I've always been a journaler. I've always had notebooks. Those notebooks are kind of messy and full of notes from different places, things that inspire me, journaling. So when I started teaching yoga, my planning, my class planning naturally became an extension of these notebooks that I was already keeping. So I have probably dozens of notebooks filled with yoga class plans. On days that I was not so inspired, I would flip through my journals to see, well, what have I done in the past? What did I do in the past that worked? And over time, I was like, you know, this is really inefficient. (laughs) Flipping through these journals and hoping that I happen upon, I stumble upon a class plan that feels right for today is a lot of wasted time. Then one day I had the inspiration to use a spreadsheet instead. By using a spreadsheet, I could make my class plans more consistent and easier to look through to figure out if there was one that I wanted to reuse and adapt. In order to create a spreadsheet of your yoga class plans, you need some kind of spreadsheet software. In the past, Microsoft Excel was the standard. There's also a free version, OpenOffice Calc. These days I use Google Drive a lot, so that would be Google Sheets. And the benefit to that is that it's on the cloud, so it's accessible to you anytime that you have internet access, but you need to remember to make it accessible offline if you might wanna have access to that at a time when you don't have internet. The process for creating your spreadsheet is pretty much what you think it would be. The most important thing is to, just like I talked about last week, to determine first the most important piece of your class plan. The most common focal points for your classes will be either a philosophical theme, an anatomical theme, or an asana. I'll go through each one of these and describe how your spreadsheet would look, and I'll also make templates of these different types of class plan spreadsheets available to my newsletter subscribers. If you're not already on my email list, I do send out a lot of bonus content to help support the podcast, so I hope you'll sign up. You can do that at the same time as you join the Facebook group. It's on the same page, teachingyoga.net slash join. My favorite type of class plan is a philosophical theme, so I'm going to start with that one. In a theme-based class, you choose a central idea 
to organize your class around. Then you adapt poses and practices that support that idea. A theme-based yoga class plan is helpful when you want to leave yourself open to adapting your sequence for a lot of different types of students, or even creating your sequence on the fly based on requests. I forgot to mention when I was plugging my email list just a little bit ago that if you sign up for that, I actually send out a list of 100 yoga class theme ideas. So that can be really helpful especially on days that you feel like you want to do a philosophical theme, but you're a little stuck on which one to choose. So your theme could be a poem, a quote, a philosophical concept, even a mental, emotional quality, or anything that inspires you. Unless your theme is a poem or quote that's already written, try to keep it as short as possible, one word or a short phrase, then expand on it by either selecting a story that supports it or creating a core message, which I talked about in the episode last week. A core message is a succinct and powerful statement that really gets to the heart of the theme and the purpose of the theme, like why does this matter? It should be clear, accessible, and hopefully thought-provoking or even slightly controversial. A different way of supporting your theme would be to choose a story. A story would provide an example of how this theme is helpful and relevant. It could be from your life. It could be a myth or a contemporary story that inspires you. I personally think that the stories from our lives are really the easiest to share with clarity and authenticity. But if you are really excited about and interested in myths and legends, you could definitely use those also. Okay, back to the spreadsheet. Looking across the top, you are going to, in column A, you're gonna put the theme. So a succinct and broadly descriptive concept. For example, it could be compassion or effort and ease. In column B, you'll put whatever you're gonna use to support that theme and expand on it a bit. So for example, a story or a core message. From here, the elements that you want to choose are going to get a little bit more personalized, so I'm just going to share the way that I would do it with you. Column C, I would put a physical focus, preferably something that has a similar feel to the message of your theme. For example, if your core message is about humility and inner listening, you might choose forward bends. Column D, I would put some specific poses that you really want to make sure that you include, but probably not your entire sequence. Column E, any other practices such as pranayamas or meditations, and then put notes for column F. For example, if you teach the class once and you realize I really need to leave more space, more pauses, then you would put that note into column F. Okay, I know that not all of you are sitting at your computer typing this into a spreadsheet, and also that some people have an easier time visualizing from verbal descriptions than others. So just remember, I'm going to send out templates to newsletter subscribers, so you don't have to be worried about writing this all down. If you're not such a philosophical teacher, or that's just not your comfort zone yet, but you're passionate about anatomy, I'm going to describe now how you would adapt this for an anatomy-focused class. 
The purpose of using a spreadsheet for an anatomy-focused class is to help you narrow your focus so that you don't overwhelm your students with more information than they can take in. You want to choose one idea that you want them to really experience deeply enough to remember and base your class around that main idea. Consider how perhaps a body part or a type of movement is relevant in their daily lives, including other forms of exercise, work, family, leisure. It's important here to know your audience because when you tie your teaching points back to the things that your students do frequently and really care about, then they'll be motivated to listen and come back for more. So in this case, your column A will be your main idea. Again, could be a body part, a biomechanical concept, a relationship between body parts, or anything else that feels really important to you. Column B, why does this matter? So essentially, this will be a core message, but the core message is crafted around your anatomical idea. Column C, the muscles that you want to focus on. Column D, key actions. Column E, key poses. Column F, a supporting theme, if you want to use one. So you'll notice here how opposite this is of a, of a philosophical class, where the theme is kind of in the background. You know that the most important thing about this type of class is the teaching of a certain concept. And if in the moment you realize, oh gosh, you know what I wanted to say about my theme, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like it actually supports the teaching of this concept right now, then you let it go. So choosing what is most important in your class is going to be helpful for creating the sense of continuity and flow through your class. And really it's, it's mostly about helping you understand what to let go of. One of the hardest things to learn as a yoga teacher is minimalism. We have a tendency to really want to share everything we know about yoga in one class. And the truth is that that overwhelms people and it doesn't give them a feeling of being held and supported, which is one of the big reasons that people love yoga. So by choosing what part of your theme is the most important or what part of your class you're choosing as the gem, the nugget, the, the creamy center of your class, then it helps you to let go of other things and, and it helps you to understand when to allow for silence, when to just let things go. The final type of class plan I'm going to address today is an asana-focused class plan. And it's kind of funny for me to talk about this because it's so far from the way that I teach now, but I also know that there are a lot of yoga classes out there, a lot of yoga teachers out there who are, you know, primarily teaching asana and that's what their students want and come for. That was my sound guy calling, and I think I'm just going to leave that in because part of my reason for choosing podcasting as a medium is to help me let go of my perfectionism, and it's tough. It's an ongoing journey that I don't think I'll ever finish, 
So leaving that phone ringing in this episode makes me remember that sometimes a lack of perfection actually makes something better. And this is actually one of my favorite yoga class themes. Some of you may know that I was born in Japan and Japanese culture is very close to my heart. They have a concept called wabi-sabi or emphasizing when, you know, in art, what they do is they will fill, they will repair, say, a bowl that's been cracked and they'll fill the crack with gold to emphasize the beauty of being broken. So I really resonate with that concept and that reminder that we don't have to be perfect all the time. And I love to bring that to my yoga classes. So I know we I was interrupted talking about a more asana-focused class, but even if you chose an asana-focused class, that idea of wabi-sabi could be a really beautiful support for that class. So you choose a theme of a pose and you, you know, build around the pose, but throughout there's this reminder, don't try to do this pose perfectly. There's no such thing as perfect. Your imperfect pose is more beautiful than a pose that from the outside appears perfect but is hurting your body. Okay, so a spreadsheet for an asana focus class. Column A, you're likely going to start with a peak pose, a pose that you want to work up to and cool down from. Column B, key actions. What is it important for them to be able to know, understand, or do in order to achieve this pose? Column C, warm-up poses, poses that are similar to the peak pose, similar ranges of motion, but less complicated with less load, or movements that simply create warmth and mobility in the important joints. Column D, cool-down poses, usually poses that are very different and more balancing from the peak pose. And column E, optionally a supporting theme such as wabi-sabi or the art of imperfection. So these are just starting points. Really, I think the best thing would be for you to take one of my templates for a spreadsheet and modify it based on what you are really passionate about. What is important to you? What are elements that you want to make sure you include? For example, you might include a bhavana or bhav or feeling tone in as one of your columns or you might include music songs that you want to make sure are included in that class or a chant or a meditation or anything that for you supports the main idea and the main intention for your class now let me take a stab at michelle's question about adapting these plans for different populations I think that to some degree, maybe even just working through these spreadsheets is a start to that. For example, if you have that philosophical theme, then what you might do is when you look at which asanas that you're going to include as your main asanas, not the entire sequence, but you can you can choose easier and harder versions based on your population. So you might do full vashistasana, the side plank with your leg lifted in the air and a toe hold for your more advanced flow class. 
and then plain side plank or maybe even side plank on your forearm for a basic class and then a side plank variation with a knee on the ground for your gentle class, for example. One thing that I do recommend for all yoga teachers who are interested in teaching multiple populations is to study and get a deeper understanding of the human body. When you understand the basic movements of the human body and how the human body works, it becomes really natural to regress and progress a movement. By regress and pro progress, I mean to regress is to reduce the load on a, a body, on a joint, and to progress is to increase the load. What we want for health and strength and progression in our bodies is appropriate load. So we want some stress, we want poses that are gonna challenge the body somewhat, not too much, not too little. Too little stress, too little challenge leads us not to grow. Too much stress, too much challenge, too much load leads us to injury. So really learning biomechanics and anatomy, these are things that are gonna support you in more easily, naturally, and quickly being able to adapt the same plan to different populations. But before you have that foundation, then what I, I invite you to do is to look at a pose and ask yourself, how could I make this pose easier? How could I reduce the load, the amount of weight on the body? Sometimes that's by adding props. Sometimes it's by getting closer to the floor. Sometimes it's by changing the orientation of a pose. For example, push-ups against the wall, right? You have your hands on the wall, you're leaning into the wall, and then you push up and down from there. That's a regression of a movement from a push-up on the floor. So people with shoulder injuries, depending on the shoulder injury, of course, often can do that version and start building strength from there. So there is going to be more work involved. Eventually, there's, there's work eventually. There's investment in your understanding of the human body. And that can happen in a classroom with a textbook, and it can also happen on your own yoga mat. And that's what I would start with, Michelle, is I would start with thinking, looking at, you know, a more general level class and looking at the poses that you're teaching in that general level class and pick, you know, say three to five of them that you can regress and progress. And then when you have those three to five poses or exercises as the meat of your class, it becomes pretty, I think it becomes pretty intuitive to figure out you know, how to warm up to those poses and how to counter those poses and balance those poses out. So Michelle, I hope that was helpful. In a couple weeks, I'm going to do an episode about anatomy and about some misconceptions that people have about anatomy. So I hope you will join me for that one. And next week's episode is with Amanda Kingsmith from the MB Ohm podcast. And she's going to talk about sales for yoga teachers. I know a lot of yoga teachers feel very averse 
and uncomfortable with the idea of sales. And so we're going to address that and talk about what role, if any, sales can play in the life of a yoga teacher. So I hope you'll join me again next week for that. Before I sign off for today, I want to thank everybody who has booked coaching sessions with me for this month. When you pay me for coaching, your money's doing double duty because you do get my help, my personalized help, and you also support the podcast at the same time. As much as I absolutely love doing this work, it costs me a lot of time and money to put these together. And that is paid for by the people who end up finding me through the podcast and booking coaching with me. I also love getting to know my listeners more personally that way because working with you one-on-one helps me to decide what topics to cover on the podcast. This week, one of my listeners reached out and let me know that she wanted to book a call, but that my regular hours don't work for her schedule. I was actually able to open up a time that does work for her because as the mom of a three-year-old, I cannot leave my entire schedule wide open for coaching calls, but I can get childcare sometimes. So if I have enough notice, there are other times that I can work with people. It's just my preference to keep my work hours together and not intrude too much on my family time. But when there's somebody who wants my help, I really want to provide that. So you can always reach out and ask. Oh, and one more thing. I do have a series of continuing education workshops in Asheville, North Carolina, where I live. And the early bird discount is going to end, I believe, on January 15th. So if you're interested in finding out more about those, go to AshevilleCommunityYoga.com and click on their tab for trainings. There should be a link there for the art of teaching. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week.